Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. got a big, big treat for you. You know, six months ago when uh, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas, all of us, as we were just watching the devastation there, were just uh, really taken back with all that uh, folks were going through there in the Bahamas. And shortly after, just a few days after, through some connections with Dr. McPhee at MTSU, uh, we were connected with our speaker today. And as we think about all the difficult parts of what happened in this storm. One of the really neat things that has happened is this relationship that has been forged between our church here and Life Community Church in Freeport and the Bahamas. So today we have Pastor Cedric Beckles and his wife Stacy. Where are you, Stacy? There she is, right here. Stacy's here with us. And Amy and I have just grown to love Cedric and Stacy. They're an amazing, amazing couple. And uh, Pastor Beckles uh, pastors, as I said, Life Community Church. He also oversees 14 uh, different churches on the uh, islands, on five different islands in the Bahamas. So God's using him in just an amazing way. And he has a, a really unreal message today. He preached Thursday night. Amy and I were finishing up a conference uh, in Phoenix, and we we're having dinner Thursday night. And folks that were leaving the service, our phones were really getting lit up on Thursday night as people were here and were really encouraged and challenged. So you're going to really enjoy this today. You're also going to get a chance to hear how your giving is making a difference uh, in the Bahamas uh, post-Hurricane Dorian. So if you guys would do me a favor and just welcome to New Vision today, Pastor Cedric Beckles. Well, good morning. It's good to be here, even though I've been here since nothing o'clock this morning. It's so good to be here. I'm really excited to be here for two reasons. One, I enjoy sharing the word. I really do. I I thank God for the privilege I have to handle his word, so precious. And then secondly, I get to speak to my brothers and my sisters in Christ who I don't see. Even though my last name is Beckles, my real last name is Jesus. And the sense of that's who I'm identified with. And you're identified with Christ, so we're brothers in the Lord Jesus and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So my wife and I are excited to be here. As Pastor Brady said, you know, we... The Bahamas had the worst hurricane that has ever hit the Bahamas, a Category 5. And those of you that may not be able to appreciate that, uh, we had sustained winds of 225 miles an hour. That's really not, that's, that's serious. But not only was it the worst hurricane to ever hit the Bahamas, it was also the worst hurricane in, in the Atlantic Basin since 1930, or the 34. There was major devastation on the island of Abaco and the island of Grand Bahama where we live. And in our congregation, we had seven or eight families whose homes were completely destroyed. You, you've given, we've had several teams from here, and the last team that came from New Vision and another church was able to work with two of those homes. So they saw the devastation that existed. And then uh, right after the Christmas, you graciously gave us a sizable sum of money. And what we simply did was when that money hit our account, uh, as it was wired from here, we took that money to open an account at the lumber company there on the island. 
And so what we simply do is we write uh, purchase orders so that uh, persons can go and get assistance from the amount of money that you sent. And as I said in the first two services, uh, I'm honored that you could send the RIS to uh, IRS to audit the money, and we have account for every penny, uh, every penny of it. And the reason we do that is twofold. One, <clears throat> we want to be uh, men and women of integrity because we represent the kingdom of God, and we know that God is watching. And secondly, we want you to know that we honor your hard work and your gift of giving, and so we are entitled to let you know that we are managing the funds with the highest level of integrity. A lot of the small businesses were destroyed in Grand Bahama, and one of the opportunities we've had with some of our members in houses that we were able to use some of that money to assist them with small equipment to try to get them restarted as they try to rebuild their lives. We still have a long way to go. It's estimated that it will take us about six years to really get back to what we consider normal, but that's under the condition that no other hurricane comes within six years. And the hurricane season begins for us in June, on June 1st, and runs through to November 31st, so, or 30th. So we are truly at the mercy of God, because there's really no entity we could ask for no hurricane other than the great God of the universe. Even though we've had great devastation, God has still been faithful. In our congregation, there were no lives lost and actually no physical injuries at all, even though many of our people had some major ordeals. And uh, the team that came could tell you, some of the families shared their stories, and the whole team that came from New Vision was in tears. But God is faithful. And God has been able to give us the energy, the partnerships like yours, to assist us, and wisdom. We're now dealing with the post-traumatic stress side of an event like that. Uh, we were telling Pastor and his wife yesterday that there's a family in the church, a lady at church, and um, she hasn't stopped crying yet, and that's not an exaggeration. It's been almost six months, so there's still a lot that has to be recovered from. Of course, you know, it's a struggle for our government because it's a major devastation. I think they estimate about $4 billion worth of damages. Um, totally, when the count is finalized, we may have lost about um, 2,000 people. And a lot of those bodies cannot be identified for various reasons. Um, and many of those bodies were washed out to the ocean because the ocean came from one side of our island and completely covered the island anywhere from 4 feet of water to 25 feet of water. And a lot of those people simply washed out to sea. So there'll be families who would never see their loved ones. There's no remains for any funeral service or anything of that sort. But in the midst of all of it, we want to demonstrate that God is faithful and that he can navigate us through. And I, so I, I praise the Lord for the door that he's opened here, as Pastor Brady said, through Dr. McPhee. He was in the previous service and through MTSU. That's how I got to know about New Vision and your first point of contact for us was Pastor Bob Landham. And the Lord just kind of took it from there. I told the last group that your name will always be in the history of my family because in just casual conversation, when Pastor Bob Landham came, one of my men said to me, Pastor, don't pick that item up because you know your shoulder bothers you. And it yet went from there. And Pastor Landham was really particular about what's wrong with your shoulder, what's wrong with your shoulder. And 
to end the whole story, as a result of this connection, I had rotator cuff surgery to fix my shoulder. So, and I, I saw a doctor, what's his name? I can't pronounce his name. He was here this morning in the previous service, came by the side I was doing, because the other past, yes. Say it loud. Shimiyama. Did I say it correctly? Okay. And uh, so, but you were just saying how the Lord connected the whole thing together. So we are excited to be here, excited to share with you, and excited to let you know that you are well represented in the Bahamas. On my next trip here, uh, I'll bring some of my people. I was telling pastor, it was difficult to come on my own. Uh, I have a security team that thinks no one can take care of me other than they can. Uh, so I reassured my lead guy yesterday that I'm well cared for, well protected. I'm in good company, so there's no need to worry, all right? But I want to share a word with you this morning, and I want to speak on this matter of worship. So I want to bow for a word of prayer. What do I, I need your favor this morning. I believe in corporate prayer. Uh, my sister, my biological sister, was admitted to hospital yesterday evening, and she had an abscess in her foot, and she's diabetic, and they had to cut out a portion of her foot yesterday. This morning, the doctor came in and said they did not get all of that which needed to be removed. So she had to have another minor surgery this morning. I spoke with her right before I spoke in the last service. She was in tears, kind of broken. Right after I got off the pulpit a few minutes ago, my daughter called, you know, all upset about what's happening to Annie Ann. And then in addition to Ann being my biological sister, uh, she is our administrator. And I told the last crew, she is my genie. You have your genie here? who kind of runs the show, and it's the one that kind of runs the show there. So as we pray, I wish you would just lift her up to the Lord for me, please. Father, we <clears throat> thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're our God and our King. We thank you that you are the ultimate source of truth. I thank you, Father, that you love us enough to give us the privilege to worship you. You love us enough to give us access to your throne through prayers. And we have the great intercessor, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We lift Anne again to you, Christopher, her son, mom, that you would settle their spirits and their minds. Calm all of us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just put a hush over us as we see your hand at work in her life. And then this morning, as we share your word, bring change to us today. We want to be gloriously reverent, reverent to you, but gloriously transformed by you as well. So let your name be glorified among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John as we look at this whole issue of worship. In a generic sense, worship is an intentional focus on an object or a person, and in return, there is an impact of that focus on the object or the person. Um, for example, and just in a loose sense, you, you would have been impacted if your team played last night and lost, because there was an intense focus on the game, on the score, and your team lost, or you were impacted. That's a, a very generic form of worship. If your team won, you would have been exhilaratedly happy because your team won. If your team plays today, same thing is true. God designed worship for our benefit, not His benefit, our benefit. And so I want us to look at the components of worship, and then we'll look at the definition of worship, and then we'll look at the results of worship this morning, because it's essential that we learn how 
to worship and to learn what true worship really is. We want to read the story in the Gospel of John as Jesus was dealing with the woman at the well. And as we go through the reading, you would be, I would point out to you the three components of worship are evident in the life of the story. We begin reading at verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, or said to her, If you knew the gifts of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Water. Now, when Jesus used to those words, living water, that caught the attention of the Samaritan woman. Because in their culture, there were two types of waters. There was stale or stagnant water, for example, like an assistant. And it doesn't mean that it was not usable, but it was not considered living water. Or it would have been in a well. Living water, would have, in their vernacular, would have been a live stream, a, a fresh moving stream of water. So Jesus said to her, I am the living water. She still hasn't caught it yet, so she says to him, she said to him, sir, verse 11, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Obviously, she did not know to whom she was speaking. Her point is, man, you can't be greater than Jacob and Abraham and all of our forefathers. And in addition to that, where's your bucket and your string? The well is deep. And you want to give me living water? No, you can't do that. Jesus answered and said unto her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She's now understanding the reality of living water because of her, uh, her culture. But she still hasn't caught it yet. Because for her, it's not about God, it's about the fact that I would no longer have to go through this mundane task of coming to the well in the middle of the day, avoiding the crowds in the morning and the evening because I'm a Samaritan woman. So if you could give me this living water, Jesus, then I would no longer have to come to the well and I would no longer have to put that heavy weight on my shoulder or my head. Because Jesus wanted her to get the point of his message, he completely switches the conversation. So look at what he says to her. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, how do you get from talking about dipping water to husband? Only Jesus could do that. You know why he switched the conversation? Because he wanted her to see this is not about the well. This is about worship and you. So he says, go and Call your husband. Look at what the woman says. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. In other words, all that I've had weren't mine. 
Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So she has had six. Now in the Bahamas, five and one is six. I see here it's the same. Five plus one is six. So this woman had six men and not one belonged to her. Now she's beginning to see. At first she said, who are you? Man, you got to be kidding. You don't even have a string to put on a bucket to draw water from this deep well that our fathers gave us. And then he, she says to him, no longer are you just a bailer with a piece of string with some good intention. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. You see the change? He says, I perceive that you're a prophet. She says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people... The Father seeks to be his worshipers, and that's still true of us this morning. So what then is worship in a more refined sense? Worship then is the Holy Spirit's energizing our human spirit through conversion, and we come to God the Father in the truth of who Jesus is. There can be no God-given worship without the Holy Spirit energizing us and the worshiping in the context of truth. So he goes on to say to this woman, worship now is no longer external, worship is internal. And the internal worship will obviously flow on the outside, but the object of worship is not the external. For example, I often say to people, and some of you might have come this morning with the hopes that the praise team could get you going. Anyone like that? Don't raise your hands. That might be a little bit embarrassing. And then some of you are sitting there saying, now you're the preacher. They brought you all the way from the Bahamas. Move me. That's really not my job. Some of you saying, well, if I don't get my street parking spot, that's going to mess up my whole worship this morning. If I don't get my coffee just right, and you could go down the list. Because a lot of us have given the responsibility of worship to someone else or some other entity. And when we don't get what we want, we feel justified because the preacher failed. The praise team didn't sing the song. We really wanted them to sing. And I did not get my parking spot. Jesus says, no, true worshipers worship in the energy of the Holy Spirit in the truth of who God is. So I tell people this. I said this to the last two audiences. You could go to an atheist conference and have a good worship time. Because it's not about who's sitting next to you and who's sitting around you. Not even this morning. Worship is about what's going on on the inside. So when I learn to come before God in the energy of the Holy Spirit, in the truth of who God is, that's when true worship takes place. And this is the definition of a true worshiper. A true worshiper then flows from inside to the outside. 
So then what are the components of worship? So that's the definition of worship. What are the components of worship? Let's go a little further. Let's go to verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or, why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men. Now, any idea why she only spoke to the men? Ladies, why do you think she only spoke to the men? Because the women didn't speak to her. You better be careful of this woman. She takes people's husbands. So we don't want to speak to her. And then she says to the men, I've met a man. And I believe the men say, yeah, tell us something new. <laughs> you met a man, big deal. You already had six of us. So you met a man. So what? But that, it didn't end there. This is what she said. Come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. So in their heads, they realize, boy, if that's true, our names got called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If this man told you everything you've done, then he would have called my name and his name. So we better go see this guy. So take us to see this guy. Let, let us go. So she said, this, this is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go any further. But if you read the rest of the story, you would see there was an amazing revival in the city. And then the man said to the woman, we came to see him because of what you said. And we stayed because of what he said. In that text are the three components of worship. First of all, she finally saw Jesus for who he was. If you're going to be a true worshiper, you have to see God for who he is. Every time we get before the Lord with an intentional focus, we look at God. We see who he is. Now that comes through his word, comes from the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It, we can be, it can be, truth can be written to music. Uh, truth can be in nature. The idea is a true worshiper then sees God for who he truly is. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He said, I saw the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So what ended up happening there is that Isaiah, the first component of God-centered worship or biblical worship is, it's an intentional, transformational focus on God. Not the music, not the ushers, not the preacher but on God. And often we come and we're distracted with everything, but we never see God for who He truly is. Then we see the second component of worship. And when the woman said to Jesus, basically she said, I am an adulteress. That's what she said. She said, I've had five husbands and I'm on number six. So I don't know, in your vernacular, we call it adultery. That's six times. She finally saw herself for who she truly was. If you worship biblically this morning, yesterday, tomorrow, next week, you will see yourself for what you truly are. Have you ever seen it where, and I know this doesn't happen here, only in some other churches, where the husband and wife leaves home in an argument, gets in the car, 
argue all the way to the parking lot, and somehow, amazingly, when they pull in the parking lot, there's great transformation. <laughs> Has anyone ever experienced that? No, no. Do you know anyone who has experienced that? Not you, but do you know anyone who has experienced that? <laughs> and then guess what? They come into the service, and we have the external forms of worship. We raise our hands. We clap our hands. Uh, sometimes we cry. We stump our feet. Man, we really get into the spirit. And then when we get back in the car, we pick up the argument. <laughs> There's been no worship. Because when we truly worship, we are mesmerized by the God we just finished focusing on. I was just, in light of my sister, you know, I was really starting to worry. I had to confess that to Pastor Brady. I said, listen, I have to fight to worship now. I've just finished preaching about worship. And, and, and thinking about my sister and her situation. And that song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. And my soul started to get free. And I said to the Lord, you would organize it to have the right surgeon on. You're going to organize it to have the right nurse on. You're going to organize it to have the right um, technician in the lab. Because you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And then I was able to walk on the stage and preach. Because I worshipped God in that short moment. The situation may not change, but I was transformed. True worship, always. Causes us to see who we are. I asked the last audience, you know what the word disgusting mean? Yeah? You've heard that word before? Yes or no? Okay. Some of you came in disgusting. But when you worship, you should leave kind and gentle and nice. Some came in rather self-focused and self-centered, and the world is about you. Man, when you start to look at God, the third component of worship becomes a reality. Some of you came in here burdened and loaded down with issues, and you, you're hoping to be free, but in the midst of your song, all you see is your problem. Man, true worshipers see Jesus, and then we see ourselves who we truly are, weak and what we, what's revealed isn't to shame us. What's revealed is to purify us. What did Isaiah say? Woe is me. The Bible says one of the angels came from the throne and put a hot coal on his lips to purify him, an act of purification. But we are never purified by worship until we see God for who he is and we truly see ourselves for who we are without any excuses and justification. One of the greatest things we inherited from the garden is excuse. We don't think of it that way. Eve said to God is the serpent. Adam said, well, Adam said to God is Eve. Eve said it's the serpent. I always jokingly laugh at it. God says, okay, all right. I'll start from the end and work up. Satan, serpent, I'll deal with you. Woman, I'll deal with you. And man, I'll deal with you. And we have not gotten out of that yet. We still blame everyone for our own spiritual state. I've had people leave the church because they're not growing spiritually there. I'm thinking, wow, you must not be eating the food. Because we're surely cooking it. And we're dishing it up. And it's energized by the Holy Spirit. We don't use salt and black pepper. We use Holy Spirit pepper. And it's amazing that you're not growing. And so you blame me. Wow, that's amazing. And the third component of worship is this. You see people 
Isaiah said, who will go? I will go. After seeing God for who he is, mesmerized by the reality of who God is, transformed by seeing his inefficiencies and his shortcomings, and God fixed that, then he said, I will stand in the gap. When the woman at the well saw Jesus for who he was and recognized that I have no right to even be before this great prophet and Messiah, transformed by her faith, she went after the man who she was defiled by and who she defiled. True worship always sees God, see who you are, who I am, and it sees other people. When we say we've worshipped and we're still self-centered, that is the kind of worship Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 15 where he says, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Those are the three components of worship. You see God, you see yourself, and you see others. And that is a continuous process that we have to take part in every day. Now remember this. Here, we call this corporate worship. And I often tell Christians, you do not come here to get primed to worship. You come primed to worship. You don't come to a corporate gathering to get ready to worship because you should have been worshiping from yesterday. You should have been worshiping on Friday. You should have worshiped on Thursday. Worship should be a lifestyle where you're constantly getting before God in the midst of your situations, and He's constantly fixing you, transforming you, and giving you vision for other people. Sometimes it's easier to give a picture of a word than it is to give a definition of a word. How many of you know anyone who worries? Do you know that worry and worship use the same energy? The object is different. Stay with me. What happens? Is it evident when someone worries? Is it evident? Uh, by the way, I got permission from the past of you to answer me. Okay, I just thought I'd tell you I didn't. I didn't want you to believe you're talking in class. You could, you could answer me. Yeah. What, what are some of the evidences that someone is worrying? Or what is, and I, I don't want to put it on you because you'd go quiet on me. I've been preaching long enough to know if you ask them questions where you get personal answers, they don't want to answer. But if you ask them about their neighbor, they tell you all the answers. So what, what are some of the evidences of your friend or neighbor uh, that he or she was worrying? Talk to me. Oh, they wring their hands. Now, uh, you don't mean like this, though. Yeah, I'm not worrying. That's not why I'm doing But yeah, okay. What else? Yeah, that's a good one. Oh. <laughs> Listen to me. Your blood pressure changes. Your countenance change. Your, 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 your skin color changes, you're flushed. Your energy sometimes is depleted. Sometimes your physical, you could tell when somebody, if, you, if you're used to seeing a person, you know their normal gape. You could tell when they are up and when they're down. It's evident when we worry. When we worry, we don't sleep. Anyone has that, ever had that happen to them before? I, I, one night I was lying awake recently and I'm saying, guy, you, you, you're being foolish. 
There's no need for you on God to be awake. God doesn't sleep. So you need to go to sleep. But I was so obsessed with what my intentional focus was on that it had an impact on me. And the impact was negative. So I never slept. And a lot of us, worry is the opposite, the incorrect use of the worship energy. So if you know how to worry, you know how to worship. If you know how to be stressed out over a situation, you know how to worship. So worship and worry, the same energy. Can I give you something to prove that? Well, what did Paul say? Be anxious for? Be anxious for? But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In other words, God is saying, hey, instead of being stressed out over the situation, which is worry, why don't you worship me? Take that same problem, bring it to me, and then pray. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Worship and worry is the same energy. What makes it worry is when you have it on an entity that brings negative impact on you. But when you put that same energy on God, you are transformed in the midst of that situation. That's worship. True worshipers are always being transformed. And so we need to reduce our worry and increase our worship now, if you were to take a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper and write worry at the top and take another sheet of paper and write worship at the top and accumulate the hours that you would have spent worshiping in, in the context of how I'm preaching it and worry in the context of how we live it, what paper would have the most time on it? Worry. Honest confession this morning, but an embarrassing confession because we're the people of God. How is it that our paper of worry will outshine our paper of worship? Ah, oh, we're not living quality lives. You know, you know what I've learned? Now, I am all for a nice house, a nice car, a nice boat, a nice plane, you know, nice clothing, nice vacations, nice, 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 all those things. But I got news for you. They do not help us when our focus is on issues. I've learned this, the more you have, the more you are owned. You got that? The more we have, the more those things sometimes own us. So I'm not against things. What I'm trying to get you to see though is, for those of us who know God, we need to reverse that. And I pray that the next time I come to speak, Pastor Brady, the next time I come to speak, <laughs> Pastor Brady... <laughs> And I asked that same question, you would tell me, since then to now, my worship paper has more time on it than my worry paper. And I think we'd all be, admit this morning that we spend more time worrying than we spend worshiping. You know what worry is? An intentional focus on an object or an entity that has a negative impact on us. You know what worship is? An intentional focus on the God of the universe which causes us to see him for who he is. We see ourselves for who we are, and then we are transformed. Now, also, let me help you with this. This isn't the best news, but it's true. Worship does not always change your situation, but it always changes you. The Lord Jesus, when he went in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, and I, I like to put it this way, I think he had a really down-to-earth, hard talk with the Father. He said, now look at Daddy. Let's just get some things straight here. This thing's stressing me out. You know, he had the drops of blood indicating that he was under tremendous stress. 
the capillaries burst, the capillaries burst, whatever word you want to use, dripped into the blood, I mean, to the sweat gland, and so it sweated out of the, out of the skin. But you know what Jesus, what happened to Jesus? He was under tremendous pressure, went into the garden, said, now look at daddy, is there any way we can get this done without me going through this? Because they're going to put those things in my hand. They're going to run those things through my feet. They're going to stick a spear in my side. They're going to create a thorn, uh, a crown with four-inch thorns on them and put it on my head, and they're going to hit me in my head with a stick. He said, in addition to that, Father, you're going to turn your back on me. The Bible says he went for it once, he prayed, went a second time and prayed. The third time he came back and the text says, he said to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. And then he, say, he saw himself. He said, for this reason came I into the world, and then he saw me and you. Genuine worship always puts our focus on God. Causes us to see ourselves like Jesus saw himself. He realized there's no other way to get this done. And then it focuses on others. And Jesus came away with his disciples and said, now it's time to go. So the state Jesus came into the garden with was radically transformed by his worship, but his situation did not change. Now some of you this morning, the only way to make it through your situation is to start worshiping God. Because it may not change tomorrow. As a matter of fact, it may not change next week either. But I can tell you one thing. When you get before the great God of the universe, he will transform you in biblical worship. Warrior or worshiper? God gave us the ability to worship so we could be radically transformed on a day-to-day -day basis. Alcoholics take a drink to be transformed. Drug addicts take drugs to be transformed. Opioids are used to transform people. You and I have the greatest opportunity to be transformed daily without any foreign substances through the Spirit of God. Through the truth of who Jesus is, through the Word of God, we can be transformed on a daily basis. Warrior or worshiper? Father, thank you for your Word. Bring glory to yourself through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.